You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And welcome to the Big Woo Big Board Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Chris Flum. Chris, how are you doing today? Not, not bad. I'm tired already, but you know, we still got a five days of combine, four days of combine left. Yeah, there is a lot going on. I tweeted this out during the first day of the combine. There's days where I'm just happy that Stoke Cold Brew is a thing. Uh, this is not a paid advertisement. I am just a very happy consumer of Stoke Cold Brew when I need to get through days like this, and it feels like we're going to have a lot of days like that. So one of the reasons we had a very long day was because Pat Shermer and Dave Gettleman both spoke at the Combine on Wednesday. So Ed was in Indianapolis. He got a bunch of the quotes. He's put up a podcast that... It gives you just kind of an overview of what was said, but uh, we are going to dive, I think, a little deeper into what was said because if I could summarize, I think we have some thoughts. (laughs) We definitely have thoughts. I'll say my first two are, one, I picked the wrong damn week to cut down on my caffeine intake, and my second thought is, I am not sure Pat Shermer and Dave Gettleman have ever met. That's definitely a takeaway. So they both said they expect Eli Manning to come back. I think there were kind of differing degrees to how much praise they had of Manning, although Gettleman went off the deep end a little bit, and we'll get to that. Shermer had a lot of nice things to say about Eli that he still does still think he has you know time left and he would be good to you know mentor a quarterback and a quarterback would be lucky to learn under Eli. Uh, so we'll we'll get to some Eli stuff, but in the way they were talking about how to evaluate quarterbacks was very very different. <laughs> so uh, Pat Shermer, I think he was kind of on the record, and I think some. Uh, people had talked about when he was talking about last year, he said he would prefer his quarterbacks to be tall. He was on the podium at the combine and just said quarterbacks can come in all shapes and sizes. He you know, mentioned Russell Wilson winning a Super Bowl and things like that. And of course, a lot of these questions are kind of just veiled questions about Kyler Murray, who maybe we'll talk about of what happened with him. Uh, he's Measured in at 5'10", which is taller than anyone expected. Uh, That's fine. Great. Kyler Murray is fine. He's a very good football player. We can move on. But Shermer said, you know, quarterbacks can come in all shapes and sizes. And one thing that really stood out to me, he said, as coaches, we should be able to get these players in and scheme around what their strengths are. And 
Yes, yes, they should. Uh, that is a very positive thing to hear. And then Dave Gettleman comes up to the podium later in the morning. And within like the first three minutes he was up there, it says, well, this is this is a big man's game. So there, I think there are very differing approaches, it seems like, in how they are going to continue to evaluate quarterbacks going forward. Yeah, you know, I thought there were a few really positive and hope-inspiring takeaways from Shermer's presser. You know, when he talked about quarterbacks coming in all shapes and sizes, he, like you said, mentioned Russell Wilson. He actually got into the fact that Kyler Murray's height did not bother him in college. He only had five batted balls, which, you know, you said Murray and Haskins, they both had five batted balls. There were other big, taller quarterbacks who had twice that. So it was nice to actually hear somebody highly ranked in the Giants organization mention something that doesn't appear on your standard box score. And it was nice to hear him, hear Pat Shermer talk about the college game and how the college game is influencing the NFL and just that the nature of the game is constantly evolving and they have to evolve and change with it. That had me feeling good for about an hour. Then the Gettlesaurus got to the podium and like you said, it did not take him long to uh, reaffirm his old school credentials. Football is a big man's game, which yes, that's true. Even the smaller players are big by normal human standards, but he once again, talk down about analytics and talked about more ethereal, intangible qualities that you can't measure. And it was almost the opposite of what Pat Shermer said. And, he, and Gettleman said a lot of things that I think left both of us feeling a little bit more despondent than when we woke up that morning. Yeah, not that I had very high hopes for that, but someone said to me on Twitter after Shermer came up that when he was talking about this all shapes and sizes thing, and someone was like, oh, what if that's just something he's saying just kind of as a smokescreen for what they might be looking at? And my response was, well, maybe my expectations are too low, but I don't even expect that to be a smokescreen to come out of the general manager's mouth later. And <laughs> it was not. No. Um, so when, when Gettleman did talk about big man's game, he also said one of the things they, they try to measure is instincts. And if someone has the instincts, and if you're not one of the bigger guys, you have to have enough instincts to, to make up for whatever you're lacking elsewhere. And I'm not sure if that was also supposed to be like a veiled shot at Murray, because if you watch any of Kyler Murray, and one thing that came out of Pat Shermer's press conference, which is probably something we should expect, he said he's watched every snap of uh, Murray and Haskins and also Locke and Jones and the other uh, quarterbacks in this class. So obviously Shermer is doing his homework. Uh, but if, if you watch Murray, he has those instincts. He's clearly making up for his lack of size, which is why I was never really concerned about what he measured in at the Combine, because it's very clear he has already learned how to play around that size, no matter what it was. But 
regardless of Murray for a second, it's just and Gettleman continues to have this, this very narrow view of, of how he views things and how things should go. And it is so much different than all the other general managers who were talking during the Combine. I just want to play a, a quick clip here of uh, Thomas Dimitrov, who is the Atlanta general manager, of part of what he was talking about. So let's just get to him real quick. I would say I'm, I'm extremely excited about where the league's going with analytics. I think as long as teams continue to keep it in perspective and they're supplementing their coaching staff and supplementing the personnel staff through acquisitions, uh, I think it's a really important thing for where we're going with our league. It's, it's becoming, in my mind, uh, just becoming a more and more intelligent decision-making league as, as we move on with some of the information that we're bringing in. Uh, it's, it's fun to watch that from a head coaching standpoint as well as from a team-building GM standpoint. So, you know, that's a general manager saying he's very excited about analytics and how if you use it with a coaching staff, you bring those together. Also, Josh Hermsmeyer, who is a writer at 538, was kind of bouncing around to a lot of the podiums. He was sharing a lot of good insight from the general manager and the coaches, and he tweeted this. Uh, My sense overall so far, hearing from a sizable sample of the league, is that one, there is an acknowledgement that passing is ascendant and that college concepts are here to stay. Two, analytics are useful and in the rise. And three, running back by committee is not going anywhere. That is the exact opposite of what you would come away if you only listened to Dave Gettleman speak. And not saying that Dave Gettleman is completely wrong in some of these things, but just the way he has this very narrow view of what he is doing. I I don't think it is very helpful, and it definitely came across while he was talking at the Combine. Yeah, I'm actually going to circle back to this in a little bit after we get to our next point. But I do wonder if maybe his talk about uh, smaller players needing instincts might actually have been a veiled compliment towards Murray, but it just did not come off that way at all because the general tone of his press conference sounded almost like he was auditioning to be an extra in a Robert De Niro mob film, talking about how Ernie Accorsi is still his consigliere, uh, how the quarterback the quarterback is going to get whacked if a offensive lineman falls down. There, there were a few other things, and it just the tone to me was a very almost angry confrontational tone for answering questions at at the scouting combine. So maybe that changed his delivery from something that could have been positive to it sounding like him taking a shot at the, at anyone smaller than ideal size. Yeah, I think just a lot of it came off as as confrontational, which you said, and that was definitely the feeling. And a lot of just leaps in logic he had to take to kind of back up his points. Uh, there was one point where he was talking about the quarterbacks, and he said, "You you only have you know fifty three roster spots and and a salary cap, and you cannot make." these decisions in a vacuum but like going into last year's draft like he was completely looked at the number two overall pick in a vacuum I mean he had 
blinders for Saquon Barkley and nothing else mattered. And there were, you know, other things that possibly could have put the Giants in a better place long term, uh, but he was very much looking in a vacuum. Both Shermer and Gettleman said when everyone else was playing better, Eli was playing better in the second half of the season. And we'll get to that in a little bit. (laughs) And then I think someone came up with a question. So what does that say about the quarterback if everything has to be perfect around him? And Gettleman was like, that's not what I said. Tell me a quarterback who doesn't need everything perfect around him. And so the audio of what the questions were wasn't great when we were listening on the stream, but I'm going to assume someone said Patrick Mahomes. And then Gettleman's response was, well, you're talking about a 38-year-old quarterback versus a 21-year-old pup. I mean, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's also part of the point. You get in a younger, better quarterback who doesn't need all of those things to be right and perfect all the time. That's part of our point. So I think he just kind of like ran logic circles around himself and not a lot of what came out of that press conference made me feel like he really has a, a grasp on where the league is going. Yeah, and... You, know, you talked about the comparison with Eli and, again, the 21-year-old pup. So why don't we get into the what was probably the biggest part of his press conference, at least the part that made it to the – that was streamed, because it, apparently he talked for another half hour after that. And that was the Eli narrative, how – negative the perception of Eli Manning is. The reason why the narrative around Eli is negative, and he said he feels like it's a negative narrative and it's not fair. It is fair. He hasn't played well. I mean, that's fine. Um, And I think we have, I mean, I can say we've been negative toward Eli, but I think we're trying to objectively look at his play. And man, I would love Eli to play well. It would make covering this team a whole lot easier if Eli was playing well and we wouldn't have to have these podcasts and talks all the time. If you guys had heard our pre-recording of this episode when we didn't really want to go into the rants that we're going on yeah. uh, because we feel like we're doing this all the time, but it, it almost is necessary. The Eli narrative, he it, it's clear he has not played well. And I think we look at what has happened in the second half of the season and the people talk about how he improved as everything else improved. But again, or so now 29 quarterbacks had at least a hundred passes without pressure. So I've said this before. And when you're looking at quarterback play that is sustainable and you can kind of predict future performance, you look at passes without pressure because passes with pressure are very high variance so they're just all over the place if you're looking at what can be predictive it's passes without pressure so from weeks 9 to 17 that's the second half of the season that's after the Giants buy 29 quarterbacks had at least 100 passes without pressure sports info solutions has Eli Manning 25th in completion percentage 26th in on-target percentage, 21st in yards per attempt, 15th in touchdown percentage, and 22nd in interception percentage. 
that is not good. Like, I just, I don't understand how you can look at a guy who is going to turn 39 and think, like, there is some biased narrative that he's not playing well. Like, it's just, it's the truth. And at some point, you just have to know that and be able to move on. Yeah, the it, the end of things is part of things. And everybody... Or there is a constant theme of going back, well, what do the Patriots do right? You know, how can what can we learn from the Patriots? And knowing when to move on is maybe the biggest thing or the best thing that Bill Belichick does as a general manager. I think it obviously his best quality overall is his incredible flexibility and lack of an ego as a coach, but just as a general manager, he he knows when to move on. Sometimes he moves on a little bit early, but he he never just hangs on until the bitter end. And you know, a little bit later in his uh, talk about the Eli narrative, Gettleman said people struggle with looking at Eli with fresh eyes, and that. You know, they need to look at each individual year, look at 2019 as a new year, you know, without considering what he had done in, you know, 2017 and 2018. But, and this is where I wanted to circle back to, you know, just the difference between Gettleman and Shermer and how they seem to approach their views of the league and how Gettleman and the rest of the league seem to view the NFL is that he is maybe the worst with looking at things with fresh eyes when it comes to the game of football. Right now, the most successful teams are the ones that pick up every single advantage that they can. They're the ones who pick up every bit of cap space they can, who use their cap as efficiently as possible, who use all of their draft picks as efficiently as possible, who are looking for new ideas, who are accepting that college concepts have merit, that they can win by using college concepts and using those concepts to get players on rookie deals on the field and producing fastest, which would which frees up cap space to go sign veterans. And that is just completely lacking from the Giants' philosophy right now. There are no fresh eyes when it comes to how the top of the Giants' brass is viewing the game of football. Yeah, that was another thing I noted, just in the view of how the league is evolving. So um, Mike Mayock, formerly of NFL Network, now the general manager of the Oakland Raiders, he was the first podium of the combine uh, during his time talking i think he said the phrase pass first league at least three or four times i don't think i have ever heard that phrase come out of dave gettleman's mouth it's just it's it's something that has been accepted literally seems everywhere except new york and apparently seattle also but <laughs> seattle has a uh, quarterback who uh, can make up for that when he does get the chance well. to throw. And it's 
it's just such a flawed way and in a way that's just not evolving and it's just it's more and more apparent every time they come out and speak but i think we can transition and while we are like are harping on this eli thing i think when both Shermer and Gettleman came to speak, I think they both did have a sense where they know it is time to start tr- at least attempting to find the next quarterback in line. And that's a step up from last year when both of them believed that Eli Manning had years left at a high level. I think we now know that is not true, especially with 2019 being the last year on Eli Manning's deal. I think they are realizing that it's something needs to be done at some point. And the phrase that was brought up and has continued to be brought up and will probably continue to be brought up for the next two months until the draft is the Kansas City plan. And Dave Gettleman said that's kind of a, a plan he wants to follow. Uh, Steve Tisch was asked the following day on Thursday if that could be an accurate phrase to describe what the Giants are are going to try to do. And he said yes. So this Kansas City plan is going to be just this phrase that keeps going up. And just by saying Kansas City plan, I think just completely does a disservice and shows a complete misunderstanding of what Kansas City did to put themselves in the place to have that plan and have Patrick Mahomes, which is part of that. The Kansas City plan involved Patrick Mahomes. It wasn't just that he sat for a year and magically became Patrick Mahomes. What Kansas City did was get a quarterback before they had to. They had a quarterback who was good enough to start the entire season while Mahomes sat. The Kansas City Chiefs won the AFC West that year. And then... They had a coaching staff that was able to build an offense around Patrick Mahomes and give off his strengths. Last year, Patrick Mahomes threw into a tight window on only 12% of his passes, which was the least among full-time starters last year. They built that system perfectly around Patrick Mahomes. So part of that is you have to have a quarterback worthy of that. You have to have a quarterback worthy of starting the full year. Say they draft Murray or Haskins, and it's maybe shown during the preseason and training camp that they might be better than what Eli Manning is right now. Even if they start on the bench, if the Giants come out and stumble the first couple of weeks of this season, are you not going to be tempted to put Murray or Haskins in? And on the other side of that, if you draft someone like Daniel Jones, I don't care how long he sits behind Eli Manning, I don't see him becoming <laughs> a good NFL quarterback. He isn't magically going to be accurate in 2020 because he sat in 2019. So this just version of the Kansas City plan uh, is just, I think, a complete misunderstanding of what Kansas City did to be in the place they are right now. Yeah, you know, and I think the coaching and the flexibility side of it is probably the biggest thing. Because, like, when we talked to Mark Schofield about Kyler Murray, and he said, you know, I think he referenced Pat Mahomes and said, you know, 
we knew, you know, basically everybody knew that Mahomes had these tools, but he wasn't going to be Pat Mahomes everywhere. The fact that he became Pat Mahomes was a testament to the fact that he landed in a spot where, as you said, they were willing and able to build an offense around him. It is possible that Murray could have a Pat Mahomes type impact. But is New York the place where he could have that impact? Will they give him the environment to thrive in? Haskins is probably a, a safer prospect because I don't think he's going to need maybe such a radical departure from the pro style offense to succeed. Not even that Murray needs a radical departure, just that they would have to accept the fact that he is a runner. He can run. You know, it's not a 1986 offense all over again, but just the thought that, okay, well, we're going to draft a young quarterback and have him sit behind Eli and we'll be set for another decade. That just isn't how things work. No, no, it's not. And you can see there's plenty of times when you know teams think they want to sit rookies. Deshaun Watson was supposed to not start this season. That took literally one half of one game before he was put in. And obviously he was a very good quarterback and yeah. better than Tom Savage. Uh, uh, which Russell you know, Wilson, going back a, a few bar. years. Russell Wilson, the Seahawks gave... Matt Flynn, a huge contract, at least a huge for 2012, and he never started. It was clear from the first snap that Russell Wilson was by far the better quarterback, so they just ran with him and had a very highly paid backup. Yeah, so it just feels like saying the Kansas City plan is just a very empty phrase. It it does not mean anything uh, and is not some foolproof plan that is able to be duplicated. It's just, that's that's not how it works. It just kind of feels like a phrase to throw out there to say, yeah, we, we know we're eventually going to need to do something at quarterback, but we still want Eli to be the starter, so they're going to throw that phrase out and, and pretend that it means it's something, but it really doesn't. <laughs> All right, we're going to end the discussion on quarterbacks. We're going to take a quick break and then get into some other things that we came away from during these press conferences. Okay, so one of the other things that I think came away from this press conference is I now do not believe Landon Collins is going to be a New York Giant in 2019. Yeah, I'm holding out hope, but that hope is dimming. It's dimming by the day, it seems. And honestly, I think that would be approximately the second dumbest thing they could do this offseason other than get rid of Odell Beckham because right now Landon Collins is their best player on defense you went through it quite well earlier in the week the Landon Collins does so many things well that it just feels I cannot think of a good reason why they would want him to not be a giant basically because of the failings of everyone else they put around him. Like, Landon Collins was not the problem. 
Alec Ogletree having his feet rooted into the turf was the problem. Curtis Riley being a dumpster fire at free safety was the problem. The cornerbacks, you know, Janoris Jenkins having just random lapses, the constant turnover at second, third, fourth cornerback, and nobody seeming to consistently know what their responsibilities were, were the problem. Landon Collins was generally the guy trying to make up for all of that, and he couldn't. That's not a reason to let him go to, I don't know, Kansas City or, you know, maybe the worst case scenario, Dallas. I could see him in Indianapolis, and that'll be super fun to see him next to Malik Hooker. Yes. Um, but that's that's a whole other thing. But yeah, so it seems increasingly unlikely the Giants are going to put a franchise tag or any tag on Landon Collins. I, it kind of just seemed like it, Gettleman was against tying up that cap space for some reason. He went into some long soliloquy about how putting the franchise tag on a player can make him angry and that can cause a distraction and all the writers are just going to write about that for the next couple of months and that's just going to be a distraction to everyone so uh, it's a detriment to put the tag on. Again, the, uh, just leaps in logic that don't totally make sense if you want the guy put the tag on him keep him and if you want to look out a long-term deal then do that if your worry is that the writers are going to cause a distraction by putting the franchise tag on it then the way you're handling your locker room needs to be fixed if that is going to be your biggest problem but anyway on top of that and one of the things that he talked about with that cap space and how much the the potential franchise tag would tie up. So one of the other things Gettleman said, and this was in about 30 minutes after he was done with the podium, he talked to the regular beat writers for the Giants. Uh, they had a longer conversation. And in that, it was reported that Gettleman said he wants to save about 8 to $10 million for the regular season to be able to maneuver and, and make some moves in case there's an injury or whatever. That is, first of all, that's a lot of money. But besides that, so what he said was, right now the Giants are projected to have about $27, $28 million in cap space. Looking at over the cap right now, they have it at about 28.8. Okay, so they have about 28.8. So Gettleman said, since he wants to save about you know, 8 to $10 million, they're operating right now like they have about $17 million to spend, which again, weird thing to say. But now you add in that the Giants need about 10 to $11 million just this year to sign their draft class. And now you're talking about like the Giants are going to operate like they only have $7 million free to spend in offseason upgrades. That just seems absolutely insane. So one, that would suggest there's going to be a lot of cuts and restructures coming on. And the thing is, there's not a lot of places to do that. There's Eli Manning, who would save $17 billion being cut, but has been said by the head coach and the general manager, that's not going to happen. So uh, the only way to really lower his cap hit is by adding a dummy year, and that's just going to add dead money in 2020. I, again, am not a fan of that. You can restructure Odell Beckham. 
you could possibly cut Olivier Vernon, but we've talked about that, how it leaves a big spot to replace an edge rusher. And if you are saying you need to improve at edge rusher, cutting Olivier Vernon, having to replace him does not get you there. I guess you could... You could also restructure Nate Solder, but that's, again, pushing more money down the line. Uh, you could cut Janoris Jenkins. Maybe Alec Ogletree is now a post-June 1st cut. So I guess if you want to save that 8 to $10 million for the regular season, Ogletree could save $4 million if he's cut after June 1st, or at least designated a post-June 1st cut. So at least if you're not planning on spending that money, that's one of the... The downsides to a June 1st cut, even if you cut the guy before and you designate him as a post-June 1st cut, you don't get that money until June 2nd. But if the Giants only want that $8 million for the regular season, freeing up $4 million on June 2nd maybe is a way to go. Other than that, there's not really a lot of ways for the Giants to spend money. So I have no idea how they think they're going to go about spending and upgrading this roster during the offseason. If they only feel like, as of right now, they have like, a free seven million dollars in cap space. Um, my guess would be they wouldn't. Yeah, they're if that's how they say they're feeling, then they're going to have to create cap room. So, like you said, they could release and restructure some guys. You know, maybe restructure Odell Beckham, Nate Solder. Pushing cap money down the road is not a great idea, but it, I suppose you could stomach it with. Eli Manning coming off the books after this year, that will free up a lot. You know, like you said, maybe they could make Ogletree a post June first cut to give them that rainy day fund, which is yeah, that is a, a thing. That you do need because players who land on the injured reserve still get paid and that still counts against your salary cap. You do need just to keep some money in the bank just for when you have to sign players during the season. Of course, the Giants kind of took that to an extreme last year by just constantly tinkering with the back end of their roster and just signing and guys basically as long as they could, which didn't make much sense to me. But that's not the only thing. Yeah, and if they're only limiting themselves to $7 million, unless they get real creative with the contract, they're not going to have room to keep Landon Collins, which automatically hurts your team by getting rid of, getting rid of your best defensive player. Then this isn't really backed up by anything, but my sense is that they'd like to use free agency to shore up their offensive line so they could go into the draft without that hanging over them. Right, but even if they do that, like, that's not going to be cheap. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) They're they're not going to start in right tackle for $2 million. I I don't know. Maybe they've got some coupons the rest of the the NFL doesn't know about. I don't know. I just don't know what they're doing. And it feels like another thing where they are continually stuck between 
saying they want to compete and having all this veteran money and realizing the roster has a lot of holes and needs to be improved. And I come back to the Parks and Rec thing. Ron Swanson, very wise man, said never half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. And I think the Giants from last offseason to I think still now are half-assing a a compete now and half-assing a rebuild and I think those two things are working against each other and that's not an efficient way to build a roster no and just by the way I am always here for parks and rec references yeah those are always welcome but yeah we're almost back to where we were when we first started this podcast and you have to You can only ask what the plan is so many times before you have to wonder, is there a plan? And as we just talked about, I don't think the quote-unquote Kansas City plan counts as a plan. No, it doesn't. That's just just saying a thing. (laughs) That's I love lamp. That's saying <laughs> that's saying it because you saw it. That it, yeah. it. There's no actual meaning behind it, uh, and yeah, that's that's kind of the frustrating thing. And maybe that changes. Maybe they draft a quarterback at six. They realize he's good, and we can figure out how to move forward. But right now, I just don't think the clues we've been given really should give us hope that that's going to happen. Maybe, hopefully. They're just putting up such an awesome smokescreen that we have no idea what what they're going to do. The rest of the league doesn't know what they're going to do, and they'll be able to take somebody by surprise. I doubt it, but we can hope for that, at least for now. And, you know, at least tomorrow, tomorrow as we sit and record this, today as you listen to this, we have the offensive line and special teams field drills. We get to watch very large men run a moderate distance faster than most normal sized men could run that same distance. Then we get into the real athletes on Saturday. Well, I should say the body beautiful athletes on Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday with the wide receivers and running backs and quarterbacks on Saturday front seven players on Sunday. And then the defensive backs on Monday, so we'll be back then to talk about all that. So that's something good to look forward to, at least. Yeah, that's the fun thing. Combine workouts are actually going to start. The on-field stuff, we can kind of get past uh, all all the weigh-ins and this silly, have you met with this team uh, questions that, that we're getting. Um, yes. Everybody meets with everybody. <laughs> the, the answer to those questions are either yes or soon. <laughs> so when you hear whether someone has met with the Giants or not yet, they're going to meet with the Giants at some point. That's just how the combine works. Okay, so yeah, so we have that to look forward to. We're going to be back early next week, kind of breaking down what we saw from those workouts, what we liked, what we didn't like, uh, and all of those things. And we can really just like move forward. And then after that, it's it's free agency as we get into March a free agency starts like March 13th. Um, also the Oklahoma Pro Day. So that day is going to be 
<laughs> insane, but we're looking forward to it. So we have things to look forward to uh, as much as this podcast might have felt like a downer. And I apologize. I I personally would like these podcasts to to be more optimistic and more full of hope. It's just, that's just not the way it's going right now. And if, if that changes, awesome. I, I hope it does. Uh, that'll be so much easier for 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 me, for Chris, for just all of us involved. So on that note, we're going to end the show here. You can find this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review if you have not. It helps us out greatly. Follow our work on BigBlueView.com. Follow BigBlueView on Twitter at BigBlueView. Follow BigBlueView on Instagram at Big underscore Blue underscore View. You follow me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. You follow Chris on Twitter at RaptorMKII. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.